2: that man or that woman in the mirror. Have you understood the truth that me issues often become we issues? That when you don't address the problems in yourself, it's going to create problems all around you.
1: Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
2: I clearly remember the first time I recall choosing to do something wrong. As a child, I lived next door to the church... My father pastored. It was called a parsonage. So really, the church grounds were my playground. And one day as a young boy, I decided to play a game. It was something like the game, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? But this game was called, how many rocks must I throw to break the office window at the church? I found out that day, It didn't take near as many as you might suppose, but that act caused a slippery slope that led me down a path of sin, because as we often do when asked about it later, I lied to cover up this sin that I had committed. It led to a grueling afternoon and evening, at least in my mind. Because in my mind, the entire town had met to discover the mystery of the broken window at the church. Eventually, I confessed and I learned the importance of forgiveness and restoration. But that day, I learned something else. I learned that if you keep throwing rocks, eventually something or someone is going to get broken. It's really the principle that we find in Proverbs chapter 6. In verse 27 and 28, listen to what it says. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? If you play with fire, eventually you're going to get burned. I learned that lesson that day, but I'm still learning it because I'm still messing up. In James chapter four, the brother of Jesus is giving that message to a group of Christians. They were influential folks. They were the church at Jerusalem, but now scattered because of persecution in the world. And James was challenging them about some things that were taking place, not out in the world, but in the church, disagreement, division, fighting, and quarreling, he would call it. We're continuing the series, Let's Get Real, and today's message is titled, When You Flirt with the World, You Fight with the Lord. Turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 4. As you do that, know that James continuing his theme. You can't have it both ways. If you want to sum up, What we're going to talk about today is that simple truth. You just can't have it both ways. Matter of fact, tell yourself that right now. Say that out loud. Say, I can't have it both ways. I can't have it both ways. James has already taught us that that's true when it comes to our relationships with people. We can't treat people differently than God's word says we should and be called a Christ follower. He says it's true when it comes to your actions. You can't. Not do the actions that God's word commands and call yourself a Christ follower. He says it's true with our tongue. You can't say whatever you want and still call yourself a Christ follower. Last week, we learned it's true when it comes to how you see things, the world, your wisdom. You can't embrace the worldview That is secular or sensual or satanic, and and still call yourself a Christ follower. And so today he dives deep into that subject. What he deals with is not the way most of us think today. In fact, maybe you've heard of this. We see it often, particularly with the younger generation online the abbreviation YOLO. You know what it means? You only live once. It's a philosophy, a philosophy that says I can do whatever I want. I deserve it. If that's not ringing true to you, maybe you can just remember how Frank Sinatra used to sing, I'll have it my way. Scripture teaches something different. Scripture teaches that God wants all of you. That a relationship with Christ is not something that you tiptoe into and take Piecemeal parts of, but it's a surrendered life, a controlled life. It's hard to understand in our world focused on us. In fact, part of what we have to understand is that God doesn't exist primarily to meet your needs, God exists to be God, to be large and in charge and in control. He is who He is, He's the Creator when you flirt with the things of this world, when you have one foot in the things of God and the rest in the things of the world, you're just throwing rocks at something that's eventually going to break. I watch parents do this all the time. You say you're a follower of Christ and yet your children, those closest to you, don't see you model that faith. You don't prioritize attendance at the local church. You don't follow the commands of scripture to get in the word and to be a person of prayer. You don't treat people with kindness. And then you expect that your children will just follow what you've said, not what you've done. James is saying it doesn't work that way. So if you haven't already gotten the drift, let's get real. James chapter 4, verse 1 what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? It's the second time that James is giving us a hypothetical or a rhetorical question. Remember last week in James chapter three, we discovered that he asked, who among you is wise? He wasn't asking for a show of hands. He was asking for a change of life. Same thing here, but I want you to notice something. When James taught us about wisdom in chapter three, he reminded us that when we live our lives according to the wisdom of the word, we walk in peace. Chapter three ends with a harvest of peace. Notice how chapter four begins, not in peace, in conflict, at war. What happens? Well, look at the verse he tells us. Is it not this, that your passion's are at war within you. There's a war within you. Your external problems are a result of an internal problem. What's the problem? There's a war. It's passion. That Greek word gives us an English word that we hear today. It's the word hedonism. Do you know what hedonism is? It's a lifestyle, a mindset, really a worldview that is based on what you want, what makes you happy, what makes you feel good. Sound familiar? You only live once. It's a throne issue. Who's on the throne? Who's in control of your life? Who are you living to please? And when you live to please yourself, James is saying you're always going to come up short because a person who is at not at peace with himself will always find it difficult to be at peace with other people. So, the first question I ask of you today are you at peace with yourself? As a pastor, I often sit down with folks trying to resolve issues, perhaps in a marriage, in a work relationship, in friendships, trying to resolve something that's taking place in a church setting. And I can't tell you how often it is the fact that the problem of conflict has arisen because a person is not at peace with himself. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. How are you doing with that man or that woman in the mirror? H- have you understood the truth that me issues? often become we issues that when you don't address the problems in yourself, it's going to create problems all around you. It's, it's like that slippery slope. You're throwing rocks, you're throwing stones, and there's going to be all kind of breakage. Notice how the verse continues. You desire, you do not have, so you murder. Well, there's a consequence. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, another consequence. You do not have because you do not ask. Wow, that's a consequence. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What is he saying? When you have personal problems that go unaddressed, they become community problems, right? It's the kick the cat syndrome. Any counselor will speak to that. You find an angry person. They've not dealt with this anger in themselves. Guess what? They create an angry home. That angry home spreads out in the community into an angry workplace or an angry classroom. And often comes to church and creates an angry church. But that community problem is a sign of a deeper problem, a spiritual problem. And so that's what James is asking here. Uncontrolled passions, he says, lead to unanswered prayers. Now, before I discuss this, let me just remind you, God does always answer prayer, right? Sometimes he says yes, praise the Lord. Sometimes he says no. Praise the Lord for that. Sometimes he's protecting us, isn't he? Sometimes he said, let's let's do this a little different. Wait. And sometimes he says, go. He says, step out in faith. But what James is addressing is a very specific problem. A time when God says no, not just because he's preparing us for something better. He says no because he sees our motives. Did you hear what James said? You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God doesn't like your motive. How do you know if you've got a motive problem in prayer? Here's a quick test. Write this down. If all your prayers were answered today, what other people would be benefited? Now, not just yourself not just your needs being met. If all your prayers were answered today, who would be saved? What marriages of your friends would be restored? What classmates of yours would would come to know Christ and walk in the fullness of a relationship with him? Who would be healthy? What miracles would occur if your prayers were answered? James says you're asking for something not to benefit others. You're asking for something just to spend on your passions. And he's setting us up because he really illustrates that in a way that we can understand. Can you imagine a husband or a wife going to their spouse and asking for money for the purpose of spending on their mistress or the person they're having an affair with? Could you imagine that? How ridiculous how strange how unheard of and yet james is saying to christ followers look you're looking at your life and it's a mess because you're not at peace with yourself and so that's causing all sorts of problems you're fighting with everybody else and even when you go to god you don't get your prayers answered because all you're focused on is you there's a war in you then in verse four he makes it clear you adulterous people. You adulterous people. Literally, we understand that word adulterous, but literally it is adulteresses. Why would God do that through James? Why would the Holy Spirit inspire James to give us that feminine description of adultery? It's because he's not speaking of marital infidelity, but spiritual adultery. He's reminding these formerly Jewish, now Christ followers, what they would all know, that the people of God have long walked away from the one that God intended them to live for. For example, in Isaiah 54 and verse 5, it says, Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. In the New Testament, Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 5. It it doesn't explicitly say it this way, but it refers to you as a Christ follower as the bride of Christ. This continues in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 3, in verse 20, it says, Surely, as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 16 gives us a big passage, again, another prophet, telling the children of Israel, You've you've adulterated your relationship with God. And then, of course, the the most familiar of, of the prophets who had this message to the people was Hosea. And God tells Hosea, Hey, you tell the children of Israel that they've cheated on me. I've loved them. I've given them all that I've had. We stood at the altar. We had a covenant, and yet they've broken the vow. They've cheated. And then he says, Hosea, you're going to illustrate this because you're going to marry a whore. And she's going to leave you. And I'm going to instruct you to go. And find her where she's in the city streets prostituting herself. Being sold by other men. And I'm going to ask you to buy her back. And to marry her again. Because I want you to see, and I want my people to see, that God is a loving God who's deeply offended, who's distraught over the cheating, the adultery of his children. James, knowing his listeners would be familiar with the language of God, he calls it out. He makes it clear. He gets real. Look at how it continues. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says? Do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says? We should say that every week when we gather together. Do you suppose it's no purpose that God has given us His Word? Do you believe this? Is this just a book to sit on a table or on a shelf? Is it just a prop that you carry around and hold up? Do you believe what it says and the consequences of how it teaches the Word and the will and the ways of God? Do you believe it has no purpose? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. He's saying you can't have it both ways. You want to know the source of the conflict? You want to know the source of everything that is going awry in your life? And I'm not talking to the James audience. I'm talking to us. You want to know why you're facing the difficulties, the challenges, the conflict that you feel in your life? James is saying the the source of all of our conflicts come back to spiritual adultery. It's not that we need to love someone else more. Yes, love your neighbor. But you can't love your neighbor until you love God more. When God looks at us in that condition, he's jealous. Just as the spouse who's watching a husband or wife cheat with another man or another woman he yearns jealously why because when we begin a relationship with God the spirit some translations take that word spirit and they give it a capital s because the spirit of God is implanted in us and God the father in heaven is looking at us his children knowing that the holy spirit is dwelling within us and he yearns because it's not okay It breaks his heart because he loves us, and yet we're cheating on God. When you love someone, you make yourself vulnerable. And when you make yourself vulnerable, you open yourself to be hurt. And most of us over a significant age have experienced the hurt from someone we've loved. I would challenge you, if you know even an ounce of that in this moment, to go back to that and then think about the hurt that our God feels when we sin against him. When we choose to get our delight from the world, we're choosing to begin a fight with God. So you can't just flirt. It's what Proverbs was saying in the Old Testament. You can't just scoop the flames into your, fi- into your lap and then be surprised that your legs are being burned no, when you flirt with the world, you are fighting with God. It is putting you in direct opposition to the creator. God was wounded because his bride was cheating. It's what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. It says they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they've worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. How absurd. We read that on the pages of Scripture, and we think, who could do that? How absurd. No one would do that. Who would worship the creature rather than the creator? We do. When we put a foot in the world. can't love God and the world any more than a man or wife could love their spouse and another person. As a counselor, as a pastor, sometimes someone will say to me, you know, pastor, I love my wife, but, but I love this other woman too. And I just have to look at them and say, no, no, you don't. Not in that way. You can't. God says that about you and me and the world. 1 John 2, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. It's talking about the world system, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Yes, we love the people of the world, but this world system, that is not our answer. That's why I need to say every time I can, your answer is not in the world. Your hope is not in the world. It's not going to be found at the courthouse in the county. It's not going to be found at the White House in the nation. Your answer can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when your desires are fueled by anything other than that, The Bible says you're flirting with the world and it puts you at opposition. You're fighting with God because a desire for anything, even a good thing, becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes the controlling thing in your life. I would remind you, it's the world system that crucified Jesus. And the world system would still do that today. Whether that world system is communism or Marxism or capitalism, or it's a Democrat world system or a Republican world system, understand this our answer is not in the world. So, how are you doing in this area? Your passions raging against you. Are you at war with yourself? Who's on the throne?
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement